Are we rolling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll sound. I'll sound. Speed. All right, guys. All right, one take. All right, mark it. All right, action. Like film, that's what they all say. Great movies, it's the American way. I wish they had a show where they reviewed movies, which they do. It's called the Film and You Win Show. Well, hello everyone. How are you doing? I'm Max. I'm here with Juliet. Hi. This is the Film and You In Show. Thank you for joining us. Our second episode of the season, and we watched a hotter, like newer movie this time. I know we actually went to a theater. We went to a theater, got some popcorn, got some Coke Zero, but they screwed up and got us a Diet Coke. It was a whole thing. Twice. <laughs> uh, of course, we saw the movie Glass. If you're not familiar with Glass, it is the third installment in the M. Night Shyamalan trilogy that started with Unbreakable in 2000. 16 years later, he did a movie called Split, which tied into Unbreakable. Which was a twist. That was a twist. No one saw that coming. And then now we have Glass in 2019. Of course, all the returning cast members, James McAvoy plays Kevin, the Horde, the Beast, M. Night Shyamalan plays a drug dealer. Again. Again. But he's clean. Bruce Willis is David Dunn, who's an unbreakable man who doesn't like water. This um, is and uh, Samuel L. Jackson's Mr. Glass. First which... name, Mr. Last name, Glass. <laughs> exactly. And of course, his bones break like brittle glass. He's had 94 breaks as of the start of this movie really per quick, the trailer. Really quick before we get into this movie, I think it would be interesting if he was Mr. Brittle. Like peanut brittle? Yeah, so the movie is called Brittle instead of Glass. <laughs> the third installment, we have Unbreakable, we have Split, and Brittle. <laughs> you know, I was pretty excited. I think you were pretty excited to see this movie. Yeah. I think a lot of people are. How's it doing in the box office? This is Friday night. Um, what's the date today? Friday it night. It's the 18th. It's the 18th. We saw it last night on the 17th. That was opening night. Right. Um, so th- the projection for opening weekend is 47 million, which is a little bit below the predicted 50 million that Universal had. Gotcha. But it's still pretty decent, I guess. For 47 yeah. million is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I make 47 million on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. Jurassic World 2, Fallen Kingdom. We should review the Jurassic World we movie will. sometimes. We will. we will. But right now we're talking about glass. Um, well, I mean. Going back on like forty seven million being not bad, it is it's January, which is usually the worst movie month ever. Yeah, January is pretty interesting for me. Think a movie like this with M. Night Shyamalan, it's kind of making his comeback, or so people say. That's debatable right now. Mm-hmm. But um you think this would be like a summer movie or a Christmas ish yeah. movie. Maybe or they knew what they movie. had on their hands. Spoiler alert. Possibly, but um People are really excited about this. I, I was excited about it. This I is I, it's very rare for me to see a movie as soon as it comes out, but yeah, I had a lot of faith. And um, without any spoilers yet, uh, a little let down. But yeah. uh, overall, though, we're definitely going to discuss this movie. We're going to talk a little bit later about M Night Shyamalan movies in general, and we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about superhero powers as well. Mm-hmm. But first, uh, we're going into the film focus, but of course, this is a new movie, so I understand if people have not seen it. And it's got twists, as the sham always There's does. There's twists, but of course, when in the film focus, we don't hold back. This is going to be full of spoilers, so it was really good having you right now, but if you have not seen this yet, now's probably the time to go pause it and, I don't know, do something else. Yeah. Uh, read some comic books, you know, or, mm-hmm. I don't know, go see Glass. Well, I would say or, go see the movie or, if they're going to pause it. Watch Unbreakable, watch Split, yeah. then go see Glass, um, watch After Earth, watch uh, Last Airbender, you know, whatever yeah. kind of M. Night thing you want to do tonight. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this gives people like, I don't know, five seconds, yeah, and we'll just go into the film. Us. Yeah, they probably have already left by now. So let's just get into it. Let's get into the film focus, and we're going to break down Glass. Hey, hey, hocus pocus, it's the film focus. All right, we're talking about the movie Glass. Let's just talk about the first thing we see. The first thing we see, we're in a warehouse. There's cheerleaders. I don't know what team they're cheering for, but I believe they're high schoolers. It looks like the Mighty Toros. It looks like they just borrowed the costumes from Bring It On. 
Yeah, I guess they're not making the competition. No. They didn't bring it. No. No, no, no. <laughs> but Kevin, Kevin and his horde of personalities, that's 23, 24 if you count the beast. Mm-hmm. Kevin Wendell Crumb, he's got a bunch of personalities. Some are good, some are bad. We some... didn't get to see all of them. We saw like pieces of we some of them. We see a bunch throughout the movie. So. Well, we have the three, I'm saying in, in Split we had the three main ones, but we didn't get to see all of them. We saw a little bit of his like webcams with a few to show how many there were. But, like, we didn't get to really meet a lot of them. Yeah, so we only saw, like, the few main ones, which are, of course, Hedwig. Patricia. Well, Hedwig's the nine-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. Patricia's the... Proper lady. Proper lady, Mm pro-beast. And... um, Dennis. Dennis, who's uh, kind of... It's a little rapey. Uh, yeah, well, that's not the first thing I took away from Dennis. I took away more. Oh. He's like obsessive compulsive. He he's is. into being clean, so he doesn't like stuff dirty. So he's right. But he likes 15-year-old girls dancing for yeah. him. And of course, what we know about the Beast, what we learned from, uh, he lets, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the actress's name, Anna Taylor Joy? Anya, yeah. Anya? It's Anya? So know. anyway, so we know from the movie that he lets Anya Taylor Joy go. Casey. Casey. So he lets Casey go at the end of Split. But he kills her two friends, and it's basically Kevin is trying to punish the people that have not had to deal with pain, not had to deal with... Um, but it's not Kevin. It's the beast. That's the beast skull. Well, the personalities manifest in Kevin because Kevin was tortured as a kid by his mother. Right. So, but then we find out that Casey was tortured by her uncle, and the beast lets her go. Mm-hmm. But... Kevin and the Horde are back at it again. Now, it's not Kevin. I understand that. But, you know, Kevin is Kevin the is the vessel for all of these exactly. personalities. So he's got some cheerleaders tied up. And then, meanwhile, then we cut to David Dunn. And he's got his cloak on. He's got the name The Overseer now. And, of course, Kevin Dunn is played by Bruce Willis from Unbreakable. What we know about him is he's unbreakable. Doesn't like water. But he uh, wears his raincoat. He has a security system uh, store security store yes. with his son played mm-hmm. by the same actor um from and they're just ago? they're they're investigating who the beast is because of course we see him at the end of split where he's at a diner and he's like he knows that's his next mission yeah exactly so he's been looking for him yeah and, and he um, does these things which i so this is what i thought was kind of cool he does these things he goes on these walks and his walks are to go to certain areas and he's kind of it's a little criminal mindsy but he's kind of has maps, triangulations of, okay, well, he's most likely in this vicinity if these girls are here. Or if, if these girls were picked up here and the last ones were picked up here, he's probably around here. So he goes on these walks during certain times of the day when he knows people will be out because he his power is that he can tell if you're bad through touching you. Yes, and I thought that was the most fascinating thing is he can get a, a feeling by like a touch this person's bad, this person's going to mm-hmm. commit a crime. It's kind of like Minority Report or something like that. He just knows that someone's like bad. He can right. see things, gets a feeling, whatever it is. Um, he knows that this person's not a good egg. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, he's hunting for the beast, the horde, you know, because yeah. there's been people getting abducted, getting yeah. killed. Cause of now a the- new set of girls got picked up. Exactly. So he's on the hunt, of course, finds that by uh, passing when um, the horde's under Hedwick, walking Mm -hmm. back and gets a feeling, pursues it, saves the girls, but then has to fight the beast. This is the first showdown with them where the beast is uh, this pretty crazy creature. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, James McAvoy, just on steroids, uh, attacks him and... He's oh, man. shocked. He's shocked. Shocked because he can't crush him with that whole death hug, which we'll see later. They fight. They fight. It starts raining outside. It's all of a sudden nighttime, by the way. Yeah. Um, that was fast. And then in comes Sarah Paulson. You want to talk about Sarah Paulson's character a little bit? Because all of a sudden it was like a trap or they were they found him. It was, it was really kind of well, murky for me how they actually found where their location was. So they had been looking for the overseer for Bruce Willis for a while. They had been looking for him too because vigilante justice is, although lovely in comic books, in real life, very illegal. So they were looking for this guy as well as looking for the beast. Somehow happened upon them through great detective work, we're so to believe. However, the person that is leading this this crew and has these big flashing lights with her is a psychiatrist which is kind of the first weird thing that they did was if the cops are coming after these people if the detectives are coming after them the shrink isn't with them the shrink is actually 
back at the station and they're like, hey, we got him. Meet us here. Yeah, the only time I ever saw a psychiatrist go in the pursuit of a maniac serial killer was, of course, Halloween, when the doctor was out on the loose looking for him. Other than that, yeah, it was very confusing. It's raining. She's not even wearing a raincoat. Well, they did not dress for the weather on this because well, it was supposed to be the wintertime. Yeah. It was Christmas. There was a Christmas tree in it at one point. But it's Philadelphia, and everyone's in like a light fall jacket, and that is not what December feels like on the Northeast. So Sarah Paulson, though, takes uh, her character is Dr. Ellie Staple. So she specializes in people that have delusions of grandeur. And her last name is Staple, and she staples the story together. <laughs> yeah, and she thinks that uh, it's it's specialized in people that think they're superheroes. Yes. Which was weird because is there a lot of this going on, or is it just these specific well, three she, people she in said. Philadelphia? She said, you know, it's it's happened before. We've discovered people like this before, and this is our humane way to cure them. Yeah. Of this. And we have these triggers here for you. She's got strobe lights. She found out that strobe lights really stops them no matter who they are. Right. Which is weird. Except for the strobe lights wouldn't have worked on David Dunn. The strobe lights were only for the, the horde. Does this be? It was yeah. to control the personalities or apparently just switch the personalities. Switch it was like a remote control. Yeah. Like a but remote control like you're switching around on TV. Just mm-hmm. at random. Which is, I don't know how you develop that that works, but okay. I don't know how she found out, especially because she and doesn't know this person. Right She's away, we're like, buckle up. This movie's just going to like be like, well, just accept that this works. And you're like, right. no, yeah. I do not accept. But anyways, uh, that's what we're doing. And she takes David Dunn and uh, Kevin the Horde, the Beast, you know, the whole, the whole shebang of characters over to a uh, mental hospital for... The criminally insane. Criminally insane. And of course, we find out over at this hospital that Mr. Glass is there as well. And That's he appears he to is. be like uh, kind of comatose, like just in a wheelchair with a, mm-hmm. kind of a half grin. And she takes him to this mental hospital. And then this is where we spend about most of the movie. There's some That's flashbacks true. and stuff, but we're just really just kind of stuck with her. One property. Talking to him. Of course, they have David Dunn in a. A room with a bunch of sprinklers because water is his weakness and a bunch of steel enforced doors. And, you know, the horde is in another room with a bunch of the strobe lights all around to kind of control his personalities. And then Mr. Glass is in there in his other room and he's just kind of in there. room is just empty. Yeah, just kind of empty. And essentially we just watch a lot of her just talking about superheroes and how they're all delusional and her visiting them and then just talking to them for a while and that that's this is where the movie loses me because i actually don't know what to actually talk about besides it was just sarah paulson checking in a lot of people talking about their problems and i feel like nothing really gets moving until we kind of get into the three-way therapy session stuff felt like it was going places it was going somewhere then we just kind of like hit this like kind of stalled out for a while i liked when she was kind of explaining what could be a you know something a twist that's happening i like when she was saying like there are people that have these delusions of grandeur and then when she started breaking down why like why this you actually might not be the beast and here's why you actually might have just saw this clay on his leg and here's why i liked those things and then it was just like Okay, that part was done. We did it. That scene was really interesting to me because I don't want to get into all the trivia yet, but one thing was M. Night Shyamalan said about his choices for that scene. He used colors a lot to represent their personalities. David Dunn, Bruce Willis's character, is like got a lot of green. So he's kind of more green shade, and he says green kind of associates with life-giving properties. David is like the protector of life. He's the superhero. He's the, the protector you know, uh, Kevin, the Horde, the Beast, they're associated more with, like, this yellow kind of mustard color where it kind of associates with, like, religious ceremonies, like like Buddhist, Hindu. Um, M. Night Shyamalan said in an interview, he's like, I see the Beast as an evangelist, a preacher who wants to help save the broken, which that's mainly mm-hmm. the character of avenging the people that have had to suffer by eating, I guess, the people that the never had to suffer, the innocents. Well, more of the people that just get life easy and don't yeah. have to deal with pain. Right. And, of course, Mr. Glass has a purple theme, which associates with, like, royalty and majestic qualities. Mr. Glass, of course, sees himself as an important main character of this comic. Of the whatever's mastermind. Creating, mastermind. So he's, like, the royalty of tying everything together. 
So the room, like when they do the therapy scene, it's a lot of pink colors and very like kind of deep pink shades. Even Sarah Paulson was wearing like, because I noticed that. I said, why did they put her in this really light colored outfit in this white room? Yeah. That has to be a reason. So she's like leaving out the color of um, sort of like monocolor. Like there's no color to it. Everything's normal. You guys aren't special. You're not extra Mm -hmm. colorful, I guess, so to speak. Um, but the thing about the scene that I thought was actually really good was when she starts convincing them they aren't special and this is like, this is a mental illness, the room starts fading in its color and it kind of gets more monocolor when they stop leaving. I don't know why they used the color pink, but it was, um, just basically like then it kind of gets into a monochrome, just a simple kind of color. Like it's kind of losing that because they stopped believing. Got it. The thing is, before we get into like the twists later, the thing that was really annoying for me was... She's telling them that they're not special and stuff like that, yet we have strobe lights all around this guy's room to control, like, to make sure he doesn't turn into the beast, and we also have this guy surrounded by water. It's like, okay, well, you believe it, right? Right. If you if you think it's all in his head, why are you putting him in this crazy right. room right now? Okay. Right. I'll play along, I guess. Another Diet Coke, please. Um, <laughs> so the therapy session's over, and that was a pretty interesting scene. And then it's time for Mr. Glass is going to get people out of there. So he's learned how to escape because he has a beautiful mind. Also just a key card. Yeah, he's just able to get in and out. He visits <laughs> Very light you know, the horde and talks to him and says, I would like to see the beast. Tomorrow night I'm going to get us out here. Basically his prophecy, like I'm the, the whole world's going to know what we are. He shows them how the world will know who they are. Yes, and they're going to go to this grand opening of a tower. So the whole idea is going to show the whole world to believe in you. Because uh, Mr. Glass is all about this. Mm-hmm. She is. So, breakout time. Uh, horrible work by the guards. So, basically, um, we can talk about this forever, but the guy comes into the room. Mr. Glass, he's going, oh, your your pictures are unorganized or, or they're, crooked. they're crooked. Sits down and gets really close to him and he just slits his fucking throat with a piece of glass. He's able to get the beast out. They're on, they're on the way out. They're getting their clothes back, I guess, because their clothes were neatly, like, we're a place where they could find them. That's where they put the crazy people's and, uh, clothes, just in one room. Yeah, and, and when they cubbies, when they switch the the shifts, because there's like the night guy and the morning guy coming to switch with him. Like it just shows these two people only work there. Yeah. Uh, the security guards just at the gate, like, oh yeah, come in. I'm like, you didn't like do a round, like walk around the hall and stuff. Like, right. This stuff doesn't happen at the criminally, mentally insane. Also, ward. there's no person standing there scanning everything. Like, I've actually gotten things taken out of my bag for going into a museum in D.C. Oh, that's like, true. He just was, lets them in a little he gate. Just, like, he could have brought a bazooka in. in. Exactly. He could have brought, like, a grenade in yeah. or something like that. The yeah. criminally insane are here and there's no metal detector there's no x-ray machine i wasn't allowed to bring pepper spray onto a train once maybe their superpower was being oblivious <laughs> so yeah so the, they they kill another guy and um basically you know mr glass calls out david dunn and says it's time for the world to see you can break through that door shut your water off you're good come get us you know yeah. something like that and it's on and David has been made at this point a semi-believer because he never wanted to believe it before. True. And then all of a sudden it was like when she said, no, you're not, this is what's going on. And he's like, you're right, totally right. But then when he just went for it and started hitting the door and saw the dents, that's when he was like, oh, yeah, I'm strong. Yeah, it, it's tricky because that was what was so awesome about Unbreakable was was someone kind of just rejecting like so this gift. Reluctant, the reluctant hero. Yeah, totally. Uh, but then it was kind of weird because the character kind of just stopped because we did focus more on James McAvoy and his multiple personalities. And obviously the movie's about Glass. We focus on more on Mr. Glass. But David Dunn for a while just took a back seat and he, just, he must have just been standing in that room like, okay. Yeah. There's still that drive in him that he needs to protect. Like that's in it. It, for him, and of course he'll stop it because he's seen what the beast can do. Of course, breaks down the door, then it's it's Royal Rumble in the front yard. Elijah's mother shows up, and um, she represents Mr. Glass, and then his son shows up. Uh, what's his son's name again? Uh, Joseph. Joseph. And uh, then Casey shows up as well. So apparently these are the three ambassadors of... Well, he calls them the main characters when they come in. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah Mr. Glass goes, well, oh, here's the main characters. Because this story doesn't let you just come up with the things yourself. Honestly, though, I was kind of excited when this is happening. Like, because I think what it shows you is, oh, the story's moving along mm-hmm. and stuff's happening. Like, there's 
action in this movie. Now, when I say action, I don't mean like I need Transformers action. I need like the story to have some action because there is a good portion of this movie where there was no action. There was just three people standing in rooms. There should be a drinking game when Sarah Paulson says superhero. Like I studied people have delusions of super being a superhero. It's like, oh, good for you. What class did you audit for that? Like, what are you talking about? And uh, so it's fight time. It's it's Beast versus um, the Unbreakable Man, you know, David Dunn. And they fight in the front yard. Elijah watches. The people are all over the place. Cop shows up. Sarah Paulson's like talking. It was like, it gets kind of chaotic at one point of like, oh, fuck, this is the ending of the movie. Like, it just kind of feels like it all of a sudden. Like, they're kind of all over the place. Like, I kind of wish there was a big wide shot to be like, so they're standing over here. They're fighting in the front yard. He's sitting in the wheelchair. There's cops just kind of coming and going in phases like a video game. Oh, now they're split. Now there's four cops on this guy. So now they have to fight the cops so they can get back to fighting each other. Totally. And then. Yeah, they have the whole fight scene. It's pretty cool for a while. And then it's just, we just kind of start slowing down a little bit. And, but then uh, Joseph breaks the news that your dad never left you. Your dad died on a train. Oh, and it was the train my dad was on, which Mr. Glass made blow up or derail or whatever he did. I forgot. That actually sounds exactly like the script because he didn't just let it go with like, well, it was a certain said, like, train he was on, and then we all would have known because he, we've been doing nothing but talking uh, about that goddamn train for two movies now. Yeah. She, um, yeah, like, um, sorry, she, he says everything, and then we go to a flashback just to really hammer it home. Like, it's like, no, it's we, we this, got guys. It. It's this. Yeah, amazing. And, um... That was their first twist. Then, of course, he breaks some bones in Mr. Glass, but he's not over. He's got a fight with David Dunn, throws him in a big water tank that apparently was supplying all his uh, sprinkler system. They break out of it? They break out of the water, and then Casey talks to the beast for a little bit, but then she can touch him, and he turns into Kevin. Then, boom, a guy with a shamrock tattoo shoots him, and then all the personalities die at once. Then we go to David Dunn, where Joseph Dunn's like, help my dad. And then he runs away, and then they drown him in a convenient he puddle. He got pulled pothole. away by shamrock guys. That's true. But still, like, he didn't think it was suspicious at all, because they're drowning him in a puddle. Convenient, a pothole. A pothole so, that just conveniently yeah. filled with water, which we watched it get filled with water, just to foreshadow it, in case we didn't realize where it came from. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so, Sarah Paulson, of course... You almost believed me, didn't you? You know, it's like, oh my God, here's another twist. So it turns out Dr. Ellie Staples part of a secret society that loves shamrock tattoos and they love to have secret club meetings at restaurants where even though bartenders and waitresses are in on it and they're here to keep the public from knowing that there's these superhumans and they want to eradicate them from our um, world. And so this was a new um, experimental humane way of doing it by mentally convincing them they weren't mm-hmm. superheroes anymore. They were in ho- they were hopeful that they wouldn't have to kill anyone. And their goal, we'll never know, to keep people from knowing about this, um, we'll never know this, uh, is yet to be discovered. Mm-hmm. And David Dunn dies in a pothole. Of course, then got Elijah with his mom. So three death scenes in one little yeah. area. Like Very we're just going to just cut to another death scene. It would be emotional if we cared at all about any of these characters at this point. Well, it's hard because I want to care about these characters, but this movie didn't allow me no. to be able to care for them. So he, of course, says, I was wrong. This was limited edition. This was an origin story. And uh, I was like, you know, wah, wah. So they were supposed to so all die. So that was twist number two. Yes. And then twist number three, because then Sarah Paulson, of course... I guess the secret society, all they need to do is just delete some tapes and tell everyone to not talk about what happened. And then they have a restaurant meeting and then things are going to be okay. We're going to go to another city, which apparently to her means going to another comic book shop and just looking at some comic books for a while. It's I mean, like, I guess like, it's like research if you're trying to figure out like, hmm, who who could like what looks like a you need to you need to know enough about superheroes to be able to say like, oh, that guy thinks he's a superhero. I guess, yeah. So it's not when they're deleting the footage, they notice that this was like streaming, streamed, live. streamed to somewhere else's computer. They notice it later when she's like, "Check again." He's like, "Oh, whoa, that's crazy." So she's like, "It's a suicide mission." So then it turns out, wah wah, the final, uh, no, not the final twist. The third twist mm-hmm. then is that 
His plan was to get them exposed and use all the cameras that she installed for security so that the whole world can see. But then Elijah's mom, uh, Casey, which is still tied to Kevin for some reason, uh, and then Joseph Dunn all spread it and make it go viral, and they sit in a train station and watch people look at their phones. The sad part is in the reality, everyone's going to look at that and just kind of like move on to the next thing Donald Trump no, tweets or honestly, something. Honestly, if you know? we saw that... We'd be like, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, what? what's this for? Like, what? it's viral marketing. Like, that's literally what we would think is this is viral marketing. We wouldn't say, that must be a superhero. It's just, it's all interesting because I get it. There's a lot of themes, I guess, that he was trying to get through in this movie. But the main plot was is that Elijah's goal is to let people know that we do exist. Because he's always believed in it since a little boy of like, why would someone make create me like this? Sort of like an X-Men thing of like, why would mm-hmm. someone create me like this? To the comic books are actually real in life because they're I'm supposed to be the villain and you're supposed to be the hero. Unbreakable did this perfectly well. And it, for me, felt like we had almost the same message as Unbreakable, except now it's more exposure, you know? Mm-hmm. Because if you remember at the end of Split, there was also a moment where someone's like, that reminds me of some other crazy person. And then David Dunn's like, Mr. Klaus. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm just saying, like, it's already been a little exposed. So that secret society was fucking up that time. Right. And um, the point I'm getting across, though, is that this movie did succeed in, I guess, what they were trying to tell, where it's about exposing that we do exist. And this is a true thing. And it's a real thing. And the world should know this. And apparently there's a society for, for whatever reason, doesn't want people to know this. And that's it. The, the There is the theme of believing yourself and know who you are inside and don't, you know, let other people say that you're not who you are. Just the same thing as like the villain, like knowing your role and believing in yourself. But I felt like we're spending 80 minutes talking about it. And mm-hmm. after a while, it's like, got the point. Like, where's, yeah. this, where's this going now? Yeah. We saw the trailer. We know they're going to break out. Let's just kind of get to this part now instead of just more of Mr. Glass. The movie's called Glass, and he just sits there comatose for a while, just faking it for a while, and he's got yeah. the secret pills in his arm. Glass is boring. Yeah. And, uh, and it looked promising was the problem. Yeah, and I'm not really saying promising. I need them all to live or something like that. I'm upset that they died, but, you know, you're finally like, here's three characters you know. Hear them all in one movie. Now we finally brought them together. They're brought together, and now they're dead. It was really disappointing. I'll say that um, it does kind of, if you if you read comics at all, and you kind of like look at a comic book, you can see the theme of it does kind of explain the exposition. You get like little boxes, little squares that are kind of telling a story. And yeah, in a comic book totally would have seen the water rise in the pothole to know that that's where his head was going to go. And maybe it was an accident, but kind of looked like a comic book would in the the shot framing. I think the problem is he's a pretty decent director and he's a decent idea guy. But I think the problem is, is, I I mean, I don't know. This is just my take on it is that he doesn't handle notes and critique well with his stories because it just feels like his stories just just misdrafts. Or right. just miss people like with input of like, hey, because he's really created some pretty entertaining movies, I gotta say, and some pretty great ideas and out there. And I think Hollywood is lucky to have someone like this. But when it gets down to glass, it's like someone needed to give a pass on this script. Mm-hmm. Someone needed to point out that you have a good style going on here, but this is also just kind of a flat note. Like your piano's out of tune. You're you're playing like the wrong keys right now. Yeah. I think overall what gets upsetting is then when you know what the main twist is, which I would say is Shamrock Club, that they're like they're they're trying to eradicate this and this is all set up and she wasn't who she really was supposed to be. You cannot give this twist in this movie any credit because you can't just have no hints about anything. Like Sixth Sense. There's a flushed out way for it to twist of like, oh, I see what you're doing here. Like signs, they establish the stuff. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm spoiling all M. Night movies. But like signs, they establish like the water around the room for that to be kind of like the revealing ending. Yeah. This movie basically has nothing to do with the secret society. There's this whole showdown going down in the front yard. 
And then all of a sudden you see a shamrock tattoo on a guy. He kills him. They all die. And then it turns out there's this secret society. That can't be your fucking twist. No, because we, we need to know That's absurd. You need to know what them. Yeah. We need to know this. If, maybe if the secret society was randomly a part of one of Shyamalan's other movies and it was just like, boom, this society that we had no idea was a part of this universe into four movies. You can come at me and fight me all you want, fans out there, and be like, no, you just didn't get it. No, I don't think you fucking get it. The point is that you don't explain anything. You can't just like go, oh, no, 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 it's good. M. Night got our back. No, that's <laughs> not how that works. How that works is you fucking explain what's going on. And a twist is not a twist if you just throw it at left field. You don't go to fucking McDonald's and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's a Burger King. Okay, <laughs> cool. It's not a twist. <laughs> like, you need to build stuff into that. And that's what I'm saying. He's good at that in other movies. This is not one of them. Right. And the problem is, is that I was actually kind of excited for this one. And I feel that was the twist. Yeah. M. Night's like, I got you. You were got excited you. for this one. <laughs> it just anger, confusion, just ugh, like just rolling eyes and... It's just uh, overall, it's just such a confusing movie, and like that's just not a twist. If he had like let at least one of them live, and then went back and did a prequel about the secret society, we learned some like crazy weird twist about them, and then we have a final movie with who else? Like the the comic book character that survived, and the secret society, and Sarah Paulson doing a thing, maybe. But he killed everybody off. Nobody cares about the Shamrock Boys, and it's just like whatever. Would a better twist at the end, like a better ending, have saved this movie? Overall, for me, a better movie would be like this cut down on the hospital time, have the fight out there, and then maybe there's the secret societies involved, and is David Dunn and Beast, maybe Glass is dead, something like that, where we have more of a third act with all these players involved. Right. And I think that would have been a little better. Now, that seems more Hollywood, some people would say, But then at least you let the secret society play in this a little bit. I don't know who they are. I don't know what their real beliefs are, what their motivation is. So it's hard for me to really understand that this is a solution to this movie. Because that essentially was the solution to that movie was secret society you never knew about kills the main people you've been following. The end. Oh, whoa, whoa, hang on. And then they put it online. Okay. They lose. I guess. The end. You know? So... I had an idea for what might have been a better twist, too, or at least, like, a more believable, like, interesting twist onto this. After he said, this isn't an ending, this is an origin story, my thought went to, oh, because the next shot was Joseph crying over David's body. I said, oh, he's going to avenge his father now and find his place. I see Casey holding on to Kevin Wendell Crumb, and I'm like, oh, so then they'll make her a hero. So I thought that maybe what it was is he's like, it's the origin story of where our new villain, Joseph, and our hero, Casey, come from, or something like that, like some kind of birth um, to a new superhero, and then we never actually see Glass die, so it keeps it open if they wanted to have another one. 19 years is a long time to hold on to this unbreakable character and then bringing him back into the split movie just for him to die in a puddle. Yeah. And that's the sad part about it is he didn't, usually in those kind of movies, like it dies where he's saving someone, but he drowns or something like that. Like they do literally just put his face in a puddle of a pothole in a parking lot. Like that's, that's it. Like, I mean, I'm just saying this movie is not overall bad. There's some good thought. There's some interesting craft to it. There's times where I was excited, but there's other times that I really was just kind of, oh my God. <laughs> like, are you fucking serious? We drowned it in a plot hole. Oh boy. Yeah, that sums it up. <laughs> Let's get to some hidden gems. I want to bring up M. Night Shyamalan's cameo in the movie. He's a customer at David's security, security shop. And there's this moment where like M. Night goes, I know you. You, you, used to work at, you. you used to work at the football stadium. David Dunn was a security guard. security guard at the football field and he busted him for dealing drugs. And there's this moment where like M. Night goes, oh yeah, I was with a rough crowd, but now I'm better. You know, it's like, am I supposed to laugh at this? <laughs> Is this like a chuckle thing? Am I watching like this horrible like community theater play where I'm supposed to be like, <laughs> How how was that cameo on your a list of M Night cameos? I mean, what a twist! 
We, it did get a chuckle, but it was more of a like a, huh, uh, yeah, memory chuckle than like an actual, we thought it was funny. Wah, wah. Yeah. But, got a wah, wah. Yeah. I don't think anyone was worried about what happened to that. Like we needed to bring, bring home that drug no. dealer from the other one. Would but, you have rather not seen him or seen him play a completely different character or had him still be a drug dealer and come up randomly as a drug dealer? I'd just rather him just do his cameo bit and he's just a customer at the store and that's it. That's it. Okay. That's it. The problem though is it's an Easter egg until the Easter egg explains what it is. This whole movie was an Easter egg explaining what it was. I know. Like the fact that it's M. Night in a movie, you're expecting a cameo, but it would have just made sense if he was just a customer. The fact that it has to bring back to that character from Unbreakable 19 years ago, it's like, okay, but... Funny. No. Moving on. The bearded nurse, they switch shifts, so of course he's already dead, and Mr. Glass has been escaping, and then the, the guy that's coming in for the morning shift, he goes into the security camera room and sees there's a plate of peanut butter jelly and a banana, and there's already a fly. Already, so, I noticed that too. Already a fly. Already a fly, so it insinuates like, wait, that's weird, he never finished his sandwich. Here's my problem with this hidden gem. Who in the fuck just takes one bite of a peanut butter jelly sandwich and then makes your rounds? I don't know about you, America, but if I make a peanut butter jelly sandwich, I'm eating that motherfucking sandwich right away. Yeah. I'm not like taking a bite like, oh, I'm going to have a bite here and then I'm going to go do some work and then I'll take another bite. No, you eat that whole sandwich. Yeah. I was just more concerned if like, I get it, it's just so something's off, but maybe like show something off when you show like the camera screen and you see like him with his throat slit on a bed. Well, yeah. And also he was just left there for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Like Sarah Paulson even was just like. They did that great dolly just, shot with yeah, her standing by him. Stood next to it like, well, crap. Um, Mr. Glass's gold chain around his neck. The, it said the MG. That was, no, it was like on his lapel. No, no, no. He had a chain on his oh, neck. Really? It said it was gold and it said MG. I, I thought there was like a rhinestone lapel that said MG. Maybe there was that too, but I'm talking about there's a gold chain so around his neck. So he had bling is what... He had some bling. So that brings the question, did he get this made because he's really into his name, Mr. Glass, and then they actually still have that for him to then just like when he had to get dressed? And also like did Kevin help him get dressed or did he put on like those pants himself? I, I, I can't tell if he's actually wheelchair bound at this point. Right. Or if it's just a thing, because he's in a wheelchair the whole movie. But, yeah, that bling. Right. MG, Mr. Glass, like, custom made, like, hey, I need an MG chain before I get to this mental hospital. Are you asking me because you want one? I know. I was thinking Max Grill is like, <laughs> perfect. Where is my MG chain? God damn it. Also, this is the first movie for me. This starts at the very beginning. Um, the message about strobe lights. Yeah. Before the movie... There's a title card that explains that there will be strobe lights. Yeah, there's excessive strobe lights throughout this film. Uh, They could trigger epileptic seizures if you suffer from those. Please be aware that this is happening. And it was a little weird because it came after the credits, right before the movie starts. So there really was no warning when you bought the ticket. No warning when you bought your popcorn at the beginning of the movie. It you're in just, the theater. You're you're, in. you're you're here. That's your you're night. Like, you're oh, ready. Oh shit! I'm gonna have a seizure. I gotta leave. Which also brings the question: Like, did they need strobe lights to be the device? It was like, right. Like, why was it strobe light? I get it. It's to like white out the screen so you can have a cut. But like, it was. Just, it's lazy. Yeah. The whole movie just felt lazy. Like, did they think that you're actually alienating an audience that could have a seizure? Yeah. It's kind of weird. They have been calling David Dunn's superhero identity online on the net the Overseer. Was that really the best name to come up with? Or does that name do it for you? Do you like it? Did I don't know if it was just me, but I was actually bothered. Like I felt like kind of a lame name. Lame name. Yeah, it was a lame Mr. name. Because Mr. Glass is cool. I think the mm-hmm. Beast. The Beast the is horde, cool. Like, the Horde. Like, that's pretty cool. Mr. Glass. The Overseer? No. So you... You're just watching. That's the thing. An overseer is a passive role. You're just watching something. An overseer at a factory just watches over things. An overseer doesn't do anything. Yeah. It needs an action. He needs an action title. The fact that they're trying to sell me that that's what people are calling this dude in a trench coat that has mysteriously been like fighting crime and stuff like the overseer. Right. 
What would you name him, though? I was trying slicker to think about man. this. Slicker Man. Slicker Man? Because he's in a slicker. Is that a slicker, though? It's like a poncho. Well, I mean, isn't a raincoat like the a The poncho slicker? destroyer. <laughs> poncho libre. A slicker is like, I know what you did last summer, right? I don't know what that looks like. I don't want to debate you over raincoats. I mean, we could fashion police <laughs> all day. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what he would be called. I mean, he de- like the whole thing about him is that very clear vigilante justice of he's getting people... He's getting people that are bad, that have done bad things. So, like, what we see in the movie is he gets these two kids that are doing this dumb YouTube video where they punch somebody or kick somebody really hard in the face. Or Superman punch, apparently. That's the best crime you could show he's fighting on the streets. It wasn't like... It's like douchey kids It wasn't like a mugging. It was just like two kids on YouTube, like, punching someone. I think it's like he's throwing out this theme of, like... Oh, everything's on the internet, YouTube and stuff. Right. Yeah, Mr. Glass's mom has like an out-of-date iMac computer. Like, come <laughs> on, man. Was this the worst performance by any kind of security and staff at like any kind of in- like mental institution, especially given the caliber of like the people that they were like supposed to oversee? Yeah, I'd say it, it's violent, crazy people. This wasn't just like girl interrupted where some of them have eating disorders. These are violent criminals with one security guard in the front and key cards to swipe in and out. Watch Silence of the Lambs. It's, you know, like over-exaggeration with the basement confines and dirty walls, but the security you have to get through to get to people that are crazy enough to be in a hospital for the criminally insane, you would have three secured doors to get through, rooms to get through just to get to Mr. Glass. You wouldn't just be like, swipe, and we're in, and then on the other side of the door is Kevin. No, you'd have one room to go through and clear, steel door. Another room, fingerprint to go through, steel door. Like, you'd have all these sections. Well, and I think also, and this kind of goes to my next question I had, but I think also, like, just the the crimes that have been committed by these people, because don't forget Mr. Glass, like... Blew up a plane, derailed a train. Mr. Glass murdered over 200 people. Yeah, a lot of people. So I feel like there would be like a cop always by his door. Always. It wouldn't just be like this loser guy that can't finish a peanut butter jelly sandwich just walking in on his own. He wouldn't have been hospitalized in this location for that many years because he would already been tried and convicted for everything beyond his psychoness. They would have said, no, this man needs to be full security or executed. The horde is... Like, being accused of several abductions and murdering of, like, murders. young girls. Violent, violent murders. And, uh, nothing. There's no lawyer. We never saw a lawyer. Yeah. either one of those it, guys. It's, it's crazy, and I just think security would have been a lot more beefed up. And it's weird because then there's a lot of security in the basement. There's a lot of security on the outside. But on the inside, there's really no cops on guard besides the one that they showed right by the, the chain-linked fence and then the one yeah. at the front door. There would be 24-7 Didn't, yeah. police. Oh, totally. And it did not make any sense to me. And it wouldn't even be her people. It would be like no. normal people. It would be like the city. Yeah. Because these are people that have committed crimes. Exactly. And, it, and they also think David Dunn's committed crimes because he's a vigilante, you know? So this is perfect to segue in my next question I have. Was Dr. Staples' goal, like, to convince them that they were not special? Like, that's what, you know, we understand that they're trying a new method for their secret society. But in the eyes of the city of Philadelphia... Would they allow this to happen? I mean, these are people that have committed a lot of crimes. Would they be like, oh, she's a psychiatrist. Yeah, let's give her some time to talk to them or whatever. It'd be like, no, no, no. Like, we got them. She has the three days to do it. And that's interesting to me. Mr. Glass has been in this place for 19 years. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, that's another plot hole. But that's the thing. Like, with the beast. We're drowning in it. We're drowning in plot holes. With the beast and David Dunn, they were just locked up. um, So... Yeah, potentially that would have happened, but it would have been a, you can talk to them for three days while we await trial, and there will always be this person with you, there will be supervision, these will be this, this, this. Like, again, if we maybe had a part of this series that was about the chamois crew, the shamrock guys... Right. Uh, and learned about them, maybe we'd have some of these answers and we wouldn't be going like, well, why is this going on? And we'd be like, oh, they're all powerful and they're this and they're this. We'd know that, but we don't because we know nothing about this team. Uh, last question I have. The the third and final twist was that Elijah was on that suicide mission and his whole goal to get him out there was to expose everything. 
So really, Elijah, Mr. Glass, Mr. Glass, um, won in the end, or succeeded in what he was trying to accomplish, and the Shamrock crew did not succeed. Right. Even though we did not know they existed until the final 15 minutes of the movie. I was heartbroken for them. (laughs) Um, Is it weird, though, because he is the villain. He's, like we said, is responsible for hundreds of people that died over the years, you know, in his search for David Dunn. Um, is it weird that the villain really ultimately won in the movie and we're supposed to actually have like a good positive feeling at the end? Because the movie was telling us to feel good because he succeeded finally. Right. Is that complicated or is that normal? No, it's super complicated in this story because it's, you know, I see that they tried to paint this relatable story because we saw him as a kid on a Tilt-A-Whirl, but... Like, I, I'm sorry, you can be, like, the greatest kid in the world that has, like, really horrible stuff happen to you, but when you terrorize an area and cause 200 people to die, I don't, I can't go back to you as a child and be like, oh, but you're, yeah, poor baby, you know? It's like, they, I understand that they were trying to get us to relate and sympathize with him, so we could feel that feeling of satisfaction when he wins in the end, and we're happy, and that's why they put, like, his mom, who we feel bad for, and the, like, other two, quote-unquote, victims of the story, the three of them together as heroes in the end, just sending out this message. But this isn't the message that David Dunn wanted. He didn't want anybody to know he was there. This isn't the message that Kevin wanted. He just wanted these things gone, and now they're out there for the world. So the only person at the end of this that got there, got what they wanted, was Mr. Glass. Yeah. It was just weird. It, it was, was uh, really weird. And I get the message of the movie is like the whole goal was to get it out there. But in the end, like Mr. Glass is the villain. Like, are we supposed to be rooting for him? But that's the thing. Like, why were Casey and Joseph involved in that at all? Because their counterparts, the person that they're connected to, they didn't want this. Yeah. So I think it was really off because it would have made more sense if, you know, Elijah's mother gets the message and then sends it out and it's just kind of like a like you see your click send and that's it but we instead end in this train session where they hold hands and satisfied see everyone look at their phones satisfied well and like what they're going to be like best friends now and like hang out and yeah. get like coffee and tea but together amazing buddy comedy that i am ready for and maybe that's the twist <laughs> coming this summer glass two <laughs> friends forever um unbreakable glass split <laughs> A breakable splitting glass. Oh. Ooh. Yeah, I just thought it was dumb. Uh, let's get into some Super trivia. Dumb. How do you like that trivia? This movie was co-produced by two major film studios. First ever between these two rivals. Unbreakable was released in 2000. I'm Touchstone trivia. Pictures, which is now owned by Disney. And Split was Universal Pictures. Disney allowed the David Dunn cameo to be used in the Universal split as long as they had some input in the sequel. It's kind of a once in a lifetime kind of movie to be co-produced or co-productions by two of the major rival studios. It's not the first time that's happened, but the first time between these two, like, especially because now Disney owns Touchstones Pictures, Disney working with Universal. It's like the sharks and the jets. Yeah, exactly, finally. Maria. This is the fifth time Bruce Willis has been in a movie with Samuel L. Jackson. Juliet, can you name those five movies? Pulp Fiction. We'll give you a hint. One of them's Glass. Glass. Unbreakable. I'll give you props if you can name one more because the, the fifth one might be a little tricky. Give up. Three out of five ain't bad. It is because two of them are obvious. Pop fiction, come on. Uh, they were they started a 1993 movie together called Loaded Weapon One, which is a spoof comedy off a of lethal weapon. Never saw those. Never. Emilio Estevez plays uh, the Mel Gibson character. It's oh. pretty great. And uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, yeah, that was th- my bad. Third Die Hard. That's that all right. That's why I said uh, four out of five would have been respectable. Um, I would have not remembered Loaded Weapon One. The original script of Unbreakable originally had Kevin, the Horde, the Beast involved as like the emerging villain for David Dunn to face in the movie. Trivia? But uh, 
our friend M. Night could not really make that work in a single script, so he later made Split with ideas that he had from that original script that involved Kevin. Also, like, James McAvoy needed to be in this movie. <laughs> well, ex- exactly. Um, Who could have played that? Funny story, uh, there was an actor that was supposed to play uh, the role of Kevin, the Horde, the Beast, in Split originally. And I'll give you a hint. He's been in a couple other M. Night movies. Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. Really? That's correct. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix was originally supposed to play Kevin, but it did not work. Of course, uh, Joaquin has worked with M. Night Shyamalan before uh, in The Village and in Signs. And uh, James McAvoy ended up taking over the part. And yeah. I'm happier with that. Sarah Paulson accepted this part without even reading the script. That makes because sense. she wanted the opportunity to yeah. work with M. Night Shyamalan. Do you think she should have maybe read the script? Maybe just crack it open. Have someone you know read it. <laughs> yeah. Like, just... I, I don't know. Maybe that just says more about Sarah Paulson than M. Night, where Sarah Paulson's like, maybe Sarah Paulson's got a little Nick Cage in her. She's like, I'll do it. Whatever. <laughs> I'm into that. If Sarah Paulson has some Nick Cage in her, I'm yeah. like, I'm in. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson is actually five years older than Charlene uh, Woodard, who plays his mother in the movie. Well, that's no surprise. They used unseen, unbreakable footage for the flashback scenes. So some of those were uh, deleted scenes from the movie Unbreakable that they were able to resurface to be part of their flashback sequences. So things that weren't good enough to be in the first one, they just sat on them for a while. Tells you never to delete anything. Keep those high drives going. Keep them. Make your backups. Make your backups. Never know when um, your glass will come out. And then the last bit of trivia I have is all three of the main characters um, have all starred in movies based on comics in the past. Uh, Bruce Willis was in the Sin City series. James McAvoy was in the X-Men series, uh, the reboot X-Men series. He plays uh, Professor Rex. And uh, Samuel Jackson, of course, is Nick Fury in the Marvel mm-hmm. Cinema Universe. So, that was uh, your slice of trivia. You dig it? I do. Okay. Before we move on, my last thought that I would say about Glass is that I think James McAvoy actually did a really good job with the role. Um, He's credited in the credits for every single personality that he did. There were some times where you saw him fluidly move Mm -hmm. through all the characters, and I thought it was actually quite remarkable how he was able to change his body language, his posture, just other issues like you know just other kind of ways with his face voice it was pretty remarkable and it was actually said that samuel L. jackson actually said like given his resume of movies he's done he's like he was pretty impressed like being in scenes with him watching him do that kind of stuff and it was honestly impressive with some of the people not all of them but some of them their cutaways their reactions to the change because that's kind of a device that he used in split as well to show that he's changing the character that he is, the personality that he is, is by looking at the person reacting to it. And I do think that, uh, you know, most of the people that were in scene with him did it really well, reacted to it really well. You see their body language change as his personality is changing. And I think that's kind of cool, too. Let's give Glass a grade. Mm-hmm. How many Shyamalans are you giving this? Out, I, of, out of five Shyamalans. Out of five Shyamalans, I give it two Shyamalans. And I'm, I, I'm with you on that. I, I give it to Shyamalan's because the characters that he originally created were still there and were still true to them. And the nostalgia that it brought back in this age of nostalgia love that we're in right now was good. But they he lost the other three because of a lazy story and... Um, plot holes and just a sad ending to characters that he worked hard to build. I think it's well said. I, I'm, I'm with you. Two Shyamalans. I give it out of five Shyamalans. Mm-hmm. I just like saying Shyamalan. Shyamalans. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, I, I can't stress it more. It, it It's upsetting that the movie showed like, well, this is what this could be. And this is what it's like to have some kind of pacing and some story going on. And the fact that they just kind of all shut it down just for the payoff at the end to just kill them all at the end. I mean, I don't know. It's I need a little bit more explanation of I don't know what to take away from this at all, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's to especially I would have maybe even argued it deserved another half Shyamalan. But then when your twist is going to be 
something that you never knew existed at all, that's not a twist. Right. That, that is just a convenient plot thing that's really absurd, actually. Yeah. It's just absurd to be like, wait, we have 15 minutes now to process all this? That's not how you end a movie. Yeah, you know? unless one of his unnamed projects is Shamrock Club, I don't Yeah. I don't really know why this happened. Do you I'm have just, a, a, a ranking of these movies? Well, you know, we were, we were talking about like maybe coming up with like a top five of his movies, but he's really just had like 13 films. Um, put a top five out of that. Well, it's not the bottom. It's the... Do I do well? Do I do of all time? Here's what I would say for his top five good movies. I'd say the his 2015 movie, The Visit, I'd say that was a good number five. Um, it was different. It was like a found footage style movie. Wasn't the greatest, but it was just different. And uh, it was creepy and it was fun. Slide in Signs at number four. Um, Village at number three. Unbreakable at number two. And The Sixth Sense at number one. So Split's not on your list. It's tricky with Split because I think Split's really good. I think it's kind of a close tie with the visit and split. I think split might make it under five. It's tough because glass kind of brings split down, but mm-hmm. I can maybe put split number five. Fuck you, the visit. All right, split's number <laughs> split's number five. Do you have anything that differs from my top five? I'm pretty on with you. Uh, Sixth Sense was also my number one. Okay. Unbreakable was my number two. The Village was my number three. I had Split as number four only because I liked that it was almost didn't have a twist that's kind of what i liked about it because i thought it was his coming out of the twist hole that he was in and i said oh he's telling a story and it wasn't so much a twist as it was a hey guess what this is a part of this so i thought it was him branching out of the twist world and yeah giving us a little twist in that the beast was really this evangelical character that was you know trying to help the downtrodden but it was more so, like, it was a stretch to get the twist. It was more gotcha. of, like, an actual movie. And so if Glass had then come out and not maybe not even had a twist again, right. might be a little stronger. So then Signs is number five for me. Gotcha. Um, I did really like it. I have watched it a decent amount, and I own the DVD. The, I think we can agree, though, for the movies that we've seen happening, which is Garbage. And then they it was so bad that they tried to make it into a movie called Bird Box. So <laughs> For um, some reason everyone loved. The last thing we want to talk about that's kind of fun is just uh you know, we're talking about superheroes, superpowers, real life. If you had a superpower, uh like what would it be? Well, I thought it was interesting when uh Elijah was talking about you know, you have there has to be three of you. There has to be the antagonist, the visceral evil there has to be the hero reluctant or not and then there has to be the mastermind the nemesis the super villain and i feel like you know we all kind of want to say that we're the hero but i'm pretty sure that i'm more like on the mastermind spectrum of it not because i'm super smart but because i'm like i want to plan things um and i think because of that i would like time travel or some kind of ability to see into the future Okay, so you want to be an evil mastermind that can see into the future. It doesn't have to be evil. I want to be a mastermind to see into the future because I want to know like where things are going, what's happening, and if there's something that I can change to make it go the way I want it to go. What would you do with that power? Uh, win the lottery, obvi. But You evil mastermind. <laughs> it would all be really selfish for the most part, uh, making sure... My friends and family are taken care of. Selfish. Um, selfish. And I'm sure if I could figure out a way to stop an attack, I would. I just want to fly. I've had some dreams. Have you ever had those dreams before where you're flying? No. I've had a few dreams of like just it felt really realistic of like you can it's like a jump into like a hop and then you kind of just move so, yourself up. But what are you doing with that? I'm just fucking flying, man. Yeah. I never have to book a travel. So it's almost like teleportation. Can you imagine like holiday travel if you could just fly, you know? I'm flying in for the holidays whenever I want. And I would be the hero of my family. So, um, I also like always thought it'd be cool to be invisible. Mm-hmm. But that wouldn't be on like my top list. But I also right. like love like Jedis in like Star Wars. It would be just kind of cool to have that like, I don't want to get up and grab the remote so I can just like... Whoosh, 
Wow, so this was really telling that I want to <laughs> control the future and you want to sit on the couch easier and fly if you just feel like going somewhere. I'm the reluctant here that's got to start somewhere. I'm a free agent, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I can just, you I can, I can fly and pick up the remote with my mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, I think that's all we got the time for. Um, yeah. This is, this is great. Really diving into glass and M. Night Shyamalan's... Uh, Sham wow. That's all I got to say. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for listening, of course. Uh, Our final takeaway, uh, kind of disappointment, a little absurd twist. Both agreeing that it's uh, two Shyamalans out of five. Uh, But yeah, let us know what you guys think. You know, hit us up. And uh, make sure you review us on this podcast. And we'll talk to you next time. Like film, that's what they all say. Great movies, it's the American way. I wish they had a show where they reviewed movies, which they do. It's called the Film and You Win Show. I like movies, big, big movies, big movies. It's floating pictures, it's so great movies. So join us, everybody, for the Film and You Win Show. Let's get some lunch.